elements of a successful family. And as we get into chapter 3, just to let you know, the context hasn't changed. We're still talking about submission. Um, but now he, he, he's targeting, he's targeted, um, he's targeted work, he's targeted government, and how we respond in submission. And the context is still focused on, on chapter 2, verses 11 and 13 in that section, and our conduct as believers living in this world. And the purpose and the goal is to represent Christ. And as we represent Christ in a world that we don't belong to, we don't belong in this world. This world is not our final home. As believers, how do we deal with that? And so that's what we have been talking about. And now, actually, in the context, we start talking about family dynamics, about husbands, about wives. And so what we're going to do is is we're actually going to pause after the husbands in verse 7 of chapter 3. And we're going to also talk about uh, kids as parenting and kids as family. And so we're going to talk about the whole family uh, and not just husbands and wives. And we want to look at key elements on how to be successful in your family. Now we know that God says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. So we know that all of these things that we discuss is not determined on how people live around us. It's what you, how you choose to live according to God's word. And so also, if you're visiting with us, so you know, we've been, so, so you know, we've been going through First uh, Peter, that is our study, and how to live in a world in which we see all this suffering, we are persecuted, and we see all of this evil, and how does God want us to live with that? And how can we be successful in living in such a hostile world as believers, as sons and daughters of Christ, and as we celebrate communion and, and, and being adopted into God's family? How do we live? So what we are discussing this morning is not cherry-picked. Um, I'm, I'm not focusing on you women to, to, to oppress you or to make you feel bad. In fact, the intent is to give you understanding of uh, not to fall in the traps that are set out by the evil one in the world in which we live. And the challenge for you, all of us, is to understand what God is teaching us and why it is so important. And so that's what we want to look at today. So we're going to read our text. We're going to pray, read our text, and then I'm going to give you a couple caveats on how to listen to this text. Let's pray. Lord, this is not uh, from us. This doesn't make sense in the world that we live, but it makes sense to you. Because you are the God of order, not disorder. You create order. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll give us ears to listen, not just to hear your word, but, Lord, to seek to understand it, that we might not get tripped up by the rewording of the world, the way the world chooses to define things that are not according to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to listen and not to assume or to make false pretenses, 
but to hear the caring, loving concern of a father to his kids. Thank you for these words. And as we study them, Lord, may you speak clearly through the power of your Holy Spirit. May you work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The elements of a successful family, just so you know, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 and before I read verses 1 through 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3. Starting in verses 11 and 12, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Guys, ladies, men, young people, we're in a battle. And the battle is not just to be good. It's for your souls. It's for living with the Lord in confidence, with peace, with the Lord. So listen to this as it says, as we have to abstain from the passions of our flesh, which wage war against our souls, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Just think about this is, is that as we think about our conduct of our lives, that today our conduct is going to be in full view of those who do not know of the love of our Savior. Doesn't know that their sins have been redeemed, paid for by the blood of Christ. How to, how to respond to the call of God in their life. May our conduct bring the visitation of our loving Savior to them today, tomorrow, this week. And in doing that, he goes to verse, verses 1 through 7 as he goes and starts to speak to our family units. Verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some, that is our husbands, do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct... Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be Hindered. This is a powerful text when we think of family and we think of family units. And these verses are really tough to explain and to apply to our family life 
because of our modern culture and because of cultural things. Can I suggest that because we are being pressed into this, the conviction of the pagan culture, their mold that's around us every day, it makes it hard for us to understand and to desire what God is telling us in these verses. Now, it's kind of interesting, and as a side note, to think about that God gives us six verses talking to the wives, and he gives us one verse talking to the men. Now, wives, before you quickly think that I think that's because you need it, let's put it this way. Firecrackers on a string that are lit, they are fun. They just pop, 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 and they, they have amazing things. But a, a single stick of dynamite can do a huge amount of damage or can help you remove some unwanted things like a big tree stump in your garden. Here's the thing. When used correctly and applied correctly, it's a pretty amazing thing. I don't think that God gave us one verse, men, because we only need one verse, but because that verse is a stick of dynamite and properly applied, it can remove a lot of confusion. Also, women, I think that God has just given you some amazing details that we're going to talk about that that uh, is just like a string of firecrackers that are important for you to understand. And so when I want to look at this, I want to suggest that you are being conformed into the mold of the pagan world that surrounds us every single day. The billboards, the TV ads, the things that you see, the things that they say is important for husband and wife is so contrary to God's design. And so it's very difficult for us to understand, to teach, to get through this. Self-fulfillment is supreme in the American culture. And, and many of us feel so unfulfilled because of how difficult a husband and wife, uh, can, the complexity of that marriage is. And because we place self-fulfillment as the top desire in our life, it ruins many of God's designs in marriage. Also, it makes us hard as ladies to swallow this text when we look at it and we swallow it in one whole thing. When we see the way that men value ladies today with really no value at all. Our culture does not value what God has created. Well, God has designed things. They don't see the godly pattern and the, the, the wealth and the importance that is placed among our ladies. Ladies, can I suggest that God gave us six verses because if we didn't have you in the home, the men would blow the home up? <laughs> Never underestimate the value of moms, grandmas, and wives in the home, all right? May I suggest that there is much to pay attention to here. And understand that our text today is driven, is driven, whoop, is driven by the context, that it's all about our conduct and in representing 
our Father which is in heaven. It's not about representing ourselves. It has nothing to do how great we are as men. It has nothing to do how great we are as women. It has everything to do so that way people will see and glorify God which is in heaven. The other caveat is, is, well, why did Peter give us this when he was talking about people in the workplace and being submissive to our masters and being submissive to the government and for the Lord's sake? So now why does he talk? Well, here's the thing that you need to understand. In the Roman society, whatever religion that the man was is what the women was required to be. Not they got to be, they were required so if the husband decided that he was going to be Hindu, it was required that the wife follow the man and she had no choice but to be Hindu. If, in, in this context, they were required to worship Caesar. And if ladies, as often happens, is as ladies are called by the Holy Spirit and they respond to God and they come to the Lord, they get saved, and now what do they do? Do they create rebellion in their home? Do they, do they discourage the husband? Do they say, no, I will never listen to you anymore? Do they create dysfunction? And so Peter is actually talking about something that was really important for them to understand, that just because you come to the Lord and now you're under the Lord doesn't mean that you no longer listen to your husband. Peter didn't want to compound the problem with a wife's defiant behavior. God is always opposed to defiant behavior. We need to understand these things as we get into here. First of all, this is the deal. The qualities that Peter encourages these women to adopt in their life, in the midst of their marriage, applies to all of us. Every single one of these qualities, by the way, is applied, can be applied to all of us. Look up James, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Every single one of these qualities can be found in those chapters. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, all of these qualities, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, that we're, our responsibility is to submit to Christ in order to make the family work in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. How about 1 Timothy chapter 4? That the outward exercise only profits a little, but that which we exercise inwardly, our relationship with the Lord, produces amazing effect in our life. So all of the things that we see in this text is actually preached to us through the power of the Holy Spirit for all of us to follow. But this is important as wise to remember as well. Second thing is, is that Peter, uh, Peter's comments do not give warrant for a Christian to enter a marriage with an unbelieving mate. That's not God's desire. God, just because he says, by the way, when he says that in, in verse 1, it says, so that even if some do not obey the word, what he's talking about is an unbelieving husband who doesn't follow the Lord. So if your husband doesn't follow the Lord, how are you supposed to respond to that? Well, God wants us, uh, wants the ladies to respond not by forcing and preaching to that husband. And we're going to talk about that. 
But that doesn't mean you enter into a relationship, into a marriage with an unbelieving husband. That's not what he's... he's some people go to this person and they say, well, hey, if, if you can win them to the, to the Lord by following this outline, then I don't have to marry an, uh, a believer. I can just marry an unbeliever. Well... That contradicts 2 Corinthians 6, that contradicts Exodus 34, Ezra 9, and scads of other verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The idea here is, is how, now that you're saved, how do you deal with that? Thirdly, is if you struggle with any of these, ladies, if you go, man, i got to work on some of these points, this is not to pick on you. This has helped you to succeed. God wants you to succeed in a relationship with, in between husband and wife. And here's the deal. Is, is that if you're struggling with any of these, that doesn't mean that you're causing your husband to sin. No, your husband just sins. Right? But your conduct can help him realize he is living in sin and see our Heavenly Father. So let's go quickly and look at seven elements uh, that attra- of attractive behavior. What really makes a wife attractive? Ladies, listen. Young ladies, listen. This is, uh, my, my, some of my daughters have heard this message over and over. This is my, how to be a, an attractive person that all young men would love. I also have the same speech, Jared knows, how to be an attractive guy that all ladies... I've, I've told this so many times. I use these, this text, and I've told so many guys that I can help you get married to any girl. And they're like, yeah, whatever. But every guy that has been obedient to God's word and followed these things have gotten married to the woman of their dreams. I have a guy right now, he's a, he's a pastor down in California. He goes, I didn't believe you, but when I started following these principles, I was amazed. And they got married to the girl that never would pay attention to him. <laughs> because he just followed some simple, simple things. How do we make this attractive? Attractive behavior involves submission. Submission. Um, Likewise, in verse 1, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Likewise means just like he's been talking all along in chapter 2 about being submissive, being submissive to God, that because of our relationship with God, we need to be and live submissive lives. Be, we need to be submissive to authority. Now, before you freak out, ladies, this is not about being a yes person. Yes, you know, what can I do for you today kind of person. It's, it's not like, okay, be a slave. That's not what submission means. And it has, remember, we've talked about this over and over. It's about having a proper order of things. God has put an order to things. He created things to have a certain order. The problem is, is that the, the idea of submission and having a good order of things so that everything dovetails and works has been hijacked by our society. Look with me. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Guess what? The problem that we see with dealing with submission in the home or in the world 
we see, uh, ladies, sorry to, to burst your bubble or to, to discourage, I don't, I'm not going to discourage you here, but let me show you why we have such a problem within the home dealing with submission. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, hear this, your desire shall be for your husband, and you and he shall rule over you. The idea there, not rule, as mean under thumb. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying you're going to, ladies, in because of sin, the consequences of sin, ladies, you're going to desire to rule over your husband. You're going to desire that which is not right. And, and you're like, oh, man, pastor, that means it's hopeless. The consequences of sin. Well, here's the thing. If you're living in sin, it's going to make it harder for you to, to succeed, to be attractive by being submissive if you're living in sin. But hey, let me encourage you. Ephesians chapter 2, right? We were once in dead in our trespasses or in our sin. But what happened? Did God leave us there? No, but he made us alive through Christ. Did he not? He gave us what we the answer to what we couldn't do. See, ladies, in our sin, you can't be submissive in the home. But when we are in Christ, He's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to live in a submissive way. Well, let me help you. Not only in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us the mutual submission that we as husband and wives have got to submit to one another because we are submitting to Christ. It's the natural order of things. To be under the authority of Christ is the natural order. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn there. This is why the problem started with sin. The problem in the home is because of sin. And the problem is because we don't define submission correctly. We think of more of it as a slave type relationship. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let me show you something lest you fight against submission. It says, but. I like that. It changes everything. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. In John, Christ says that I am submitting to the Father's will. That's pretty interesting. Do you notice who's the head of Christ? God is. Let me ask you a question. Does that mean that Christ is inferior to God? No. No. Is he different than God? Is he... Even though he is submitting to the headship of God, does that make him less important? Does that change? Does that mean that he's like under him? Like, remember we read in Colossians? Is there anybody over Christ? When we see this, we understand that no, he it's a function, it's an order. That Christ is not 
is not that relationship is about the function of Christ and God and the function of the Holy Spirit. And in our lives, ladies, you got to understand that this is what God is talking about. In the home, there's a function, there's an order that God has established that you are not less important. Submission has nothing to do with importance. It has everything to do with function. That you, If you don't function, the house doesn't function. And guys, if you don't function, which I'm going to let off a huge bomb in your life next week, so ladies, I'll bring all the men back so they can blow up too. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. It, 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 you've got to function in the order, not in authority. The purpose of authority is to protect and to bless those that are under authority, not to benefit from authority. Authority has nothing to do with being to benefiting from. Authority, uh, authority that in following order has nothing to do from benefiting from. God never tells the husbands, by the way, if you look at this, God never tells the husband to get their wives to submit to them. All the commands to submit are directly to the wives, not the husbands. The husband who focuses on his authority is out of line. His responsibility is not to force her to submit. His responsibility in, in Ephesians chapter 5 is to love his wife sacrificially so she can submit. So she can submit. God gives us a really neat illustration here. I'm spending a lot of time on this because we'll fly through the other ones. We'll spend probably about 45 seconds on everyone else because this one depends, this one is important. It changes how we view everything else. By the way, if you look down and it talks about Sarah and Abraham, it says in verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Like, pastor, does that mean I have to call my husband Lord? That only happened once in my life. It was awesome. I walked home. I had a stake in my hand. I was coming home from some ministry thing I was doing, and the ladies were playing cards at my house. And so the house was full of these ladies, and my wife goes, well, hello, Master and Lord. And they all went. <laughs> I just started laughing. and They were like, don't say that. He's going to get a big head. And I said, she says that because she's the queen. <laughs> and she turns the head of the Lord. <laughs> I desire to look at her. <laughs> That's the, the idea here, by the way, in, in, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12 is the context of this statement. And by the way, she was talking to the Lord. God of heaven was telling her, hey, by the way, in your old age, you're going to bear a son. And she's kind of like, uh-huh. But it's amazing because in, in chapter 18 and verse 12, she says, so Sarah laughed to herself. Okay, so who's she talking to? Herself. She laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. 
do you realize she was talking under her breath? Now, think about this. Ladies, how do you talk about your husbands under your breath? Do you call? Do you understand? You know why Sarah said this was not because he was God, not because he, he was king, because she was just representing the order in the house. Proper submission doesn't require addressing your husband as Lord. But here's the thing. How do you talk about him under your breath? Do you recognize the order that God has placed in marriage, in the family? The source of many marital problems is partially because the wife is seeking to control the husband. And you can see it in how she talks about him under her breath. The biblical pattern is yielding control, first of all, to the Lord and allowing yourself to be in the function that God has put you in. Rather than being in tug of war and saying, Mo, I'm more important. You know what I'm talking about? Who's submitting to who? Who are you in, and being in this tug of war, and you say, well, marriage is so hard, it's because you're, you're in a tug of war. Stop and submit to God and allow Him to put you in the proper order. The second thing that makes you attractive in your life, that attracts a husband to the Lord, involves purity. Involves purity. Verse 2 says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It talks about abstaining from sin. By the way, why is purity is something that is not just natural. You have to plan for it. Are you planning a pure life? Ladies, you got to plan. Young ladies, you got to plan to live pure. You got to make a plan. If is your husband distracted by impurity, by what you desire to watch on TV? Or is your husband distracted by how you, the, how you share emotions with another man? How you flirt to make yourself feel better? Or are you pure? That's the idea, to abstain from sin, to plan to abstain. Attractive behavior involves reverence. Here's the thing. You say, well, I can't be reverent. How do I be reverent to a husband, especially one that doesn't follow the Lord? I can't, be re- I can't respect that. Do you know that we only respect our husbands in the proportion that you show reverence and fear to our holy God? As you respect and give reverence to God, it makes it much easier to respect a husband regardless. Do you see this? Be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, so even if they're not followers of God, even if they don't love God, that doesn't give you a way out. Attractive behavior to the Lord involves reverence. The idea is that you fear wives, young ladies. You fear God more than you fear what you might get or might not get in your relationship. 
Number four, attractive behavior <laughs> involves not nagging. I had to put that one in here. No, oh, I'm nagging, 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 nagging. I, I always laugh. My wife's always afraid she's nagging, so she's, she's like, I don't want to nag. It's like, just tell me what you want. <laughs> she's like, I don't want to nag. Listen what it says here in verse 2. It says, when they see, it says, uh, in verse 1 and 2, it says, so that even if some don't obey the word, that they may be one without a word. You see that? One. That they may be one. One to what? One to God. One to the Lord. You got, I have wives, by the way, that when I do counseling, I have some wives that say, How can, can you just change my husband? I said, well, that depends. How far are you willing to go? And I said, here's the thing. Are you willing to let God change your husband? And you do that by not focusing on words, but focusing on your conduct. Peter says that the disobedient husband may be one without a word as they observe, not hear. You know, you've always heard that more is caught than taught. That's the idea. That that doesn't always apply in all of Scripture. But here it does. Constant dripping of words does not make it attractive to bring disobedient husbands to the Lord. The point is, in our context, is this, how do you represent Christ? How are you representing the Lord? Thus, attractive behavior involves submission, which involves purity, reverence towards God, and not nagging. Number five, attractive behavior involves a gentle and quiet spirit. Verse four, it says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. There is, all of us have a hidden person. It's the person that's in our heart. It's how we feel that we don't let people see. It says, look at that, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable Beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. By the way, gentle and quiet, gentle doesn't mean doing nothing or not saying nothing. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean weakness, by the way. When you hear gentle, it's talk, It's the same word for, used for meekness. And it's referring to a wife who is not selfishly assertive, but one who yields her rights without yielding her strength of character. You never, gentleness is never... The character that God has given you and, and the, the abilities that God has given you and the, the gifting that God has given you, it's not yielding those things, but it's not selfishly saying that they are more important than God or your husband. It's yielding your rights just the way Christ did when he went to the cross for your sins. Quiet doesn't mean mute, by the way. I'm not... So husbands, I'll go around and say... Shut up, wife. Or you'll get a knock from me at the door. Maybe a few of our other men. (laughs) Quiet doesn't mean mute, but rather tranquil or calm, not combative. A quiet woman exudes confidence in her role and giftedness. She is not 
out to prove anything because she's secure in who she is because of what God has done for her. Attractive behavior involves doing what is right. Verse 6 says, you have become children of Sarah, or you fall under the example of Sarah, if you do what is right. By the way, do you know the context of that? Sarah, in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 10, through and following, all the way through verse 19, uh, there was a famine in the land, and, and, and Sarah and Abraham and all their tribe, they go down to Egypt, and all of a sudden, Abraham gets a little scared. He's like, man, my wife is pretty good looking. What if the king desires her? The king might desire her and he might kill me and take my wife. So I've got this great idea. Husbands, we are dumb as rocks. <laughs> I'm going to just say this is my sister. How is I going to stop him from marrying her? That's so dumb. So what happens? Uh, the king of Egypt says, wow, she's a looker. I want to marry her. Goes to Abraham. Says, and he says, that's my sister. Good, I'm going to marry her. And before that they could get married, all of these bad things started happening to the, the king. And the king is like, what did you do to me, Abraham? Who is this woman that you gave me to? Well, it's my wife. What? Now, I want you to understand something. Ladies, you should desire to model your life. After Sarah, do you know that if you do the math, Sarah was about 75 years old. She was a looker. Think about this. The king desired her. The king could have any woman he wants. And he says, God tells us here, he says, be like Sarah. Now, do you think Sarah thought that that plan of her, her husband's was kind of dumb? Just a little? Praise God for lovely, amazing wives who let men do dumb things sometimes. Because I don't think we'd ever grow. But do you see what God is saying here? You've got to do what's right, even if you think it's stupid or wrong. You still need to be say, well, God says, obey and follow my husband. Sometimes that puts you in a rock and a hard place. It is difficult. It's hard. But it makes you attractive. It makes you desirable. Sue Lunsford was telling us about a friend of hers that it was extremely attractive and ended up with five different husbands. And she looks back and she looks at Sue and she's like laughing at Sue's life because of all the kids and then she had twins and she's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this and I can't believe you're doing this and I can't believe you're following your husband. I can't believe you're, you know, <laughs> you should do all these other things. And, but she came back later on in her life and she goes, man, Sue, you have everything that every woman in this world wants. And may her yielding and being obedient, and being submissive, and doing what is right over what looks good or feels good, made her life attractive. I know other ladies in this church that have the same thing. 
notice I changed the coloring on this because it's important. <laughs> Attractive behavior involves an emphasis on the spiritual life, not on the outward appearance. The whole point in this and the example here in verses 3 through 4 is don't focus on the externals. Don't hang everything on your life on the externals. They will fall. Whatever you hang off, if, it, if it's on, your, on all, if you place everything in your life, ladies, on beauty, it will disappear. But did you notice what he said about the inward spiritual life? It is imperishable. Let me ask you something. Does, does a diamond look beautiful when it's in its raw form? In fact, most people throw away diamonds because they think that there's nothing valuable there. It looks just like a burned up piece of coal. A lot of pressure, a lot of time, that ugliness turns into the brightest gem and hardest gem we know. Think about that. A lot of pressure, a lot of time, the ugliness falls away and the beauty is revealed. It's the same thing with an oyster. Most of us see an oyster on a, and you're walking in Birch Bay, you're like, it's ugly. But what's inside is pretty amazing. Ladies, do you focus on the outside? Attractiveness, it's just, let's just plain say, as you get older, it changes. And so if you attract a man with beauty on the outside, It'll disappear, and so may your relationship. Happens in a lot of dating relationship. Outer beauty fades, but inner beauty grows stronger over time. I mean, think about it. In, in Peter's day, I mean, wives were just paraded around like peacocks. Beauty was everything. But he's saying, look, guys, all that's going to be gone. But what's inside will grow brighter and stronger and more beautiful every day. So, ladies, you see what's attractive? This is attractive. This is what grows your home. These are the elements that make your home successful, ladies. Peter's point is, and God's point to us, is that a Christian wife should live even with an unbelieving husband, so that he is attracted to Christ by her beautiful behavior. Young ladies, are the guys attracted to you because of your beautiful behavior or because of your seductive behavior? Peter's point, point is that godly conduct is the most powerful witness, ladies, in your life. It's more powerful than words, and it's more powerful than your outward beauty. This is attractive. And you say, well, that's not what the world says. I know. It's not. This is God's design. God designed marriage. God designed you. He knows what works. And that's the real question. Men, women... When we look at what makes a successful home, are we going to obey God's pattern or are we going to superimpose our own pattern or the world's pattern? Are we going to be prideful and say, well, that's just old school stuff. We can just do whatever we want. This is God's design. 
If you choose to obey it, he says, I will make your way successful. If you choose to disobey it, you have to live within the consequences. Let's follow God's design. Lord, I thank you for our time together, and I thank you for the joy that we have that comes from you. I thank you that all joy in life doesn't come from marriage relationships or relationships with the world or how much money we have or how much beauty we have. Thank you, Lord, that our beauty comes from you. Thank you that our success comes from you. Because, Lord, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just. You are everything. You make everything that's dead alive. Lord, I I pray with all my heart that if someone's here that has been wrestling and fighting against you and, and they are dead in their sins and they're saying that my way is more important, that they would just give up and just hand their life to you and say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I am a sinner. I am not perfect. And that they would stop worrying about whether they're perfect or not and stop worrying about what they think looks good or that they would stop trying and just stand at the feet of you and just say, Lord, here am I. Forgive me of my sins. I need your payment, your death on the cross that pays for my sin. That is the perfect sacrifice. I need you. And Lord, that they would respond and to this call and that the Holy Spirit calling on their heart right now, saying that, Lord, they need to respond to you, that, Lord, that they would not continue to say that their way is better and that they would just follow you and submit to you. That they would give their life to Christ. And, Lord, that in response to that, that that you would save them that you saved them because they honored you. Lord, save them, I pray this morning. If there's someone here that's struggling, Lord, that they would just honor you, that they'd learn to be obedient and that you provide no condemnation, success, and guilt-free living when we are in Christ and not living for ourselves. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May, Lord, all of us here have given our life to you and be in you and be found in you that we might no longer be under condemnation or under sin and under the consequences of sin. But, Lord, may we be found in life with you. In Jesus' name I pray.